0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and I'm Jess Khan Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, we're broadcasting today from what turns out to be among the darkest weeks in U.S. history. We are one week out from... Arguably one of the darkest moments in our history of uh, an insurrection and, in my humble opinion, a coup d'etat that was instigated and lit by the President of the United States in which thousands of white supremacists stormed the U.S. Capitol, destroyed property, murdered people and attempted to disrupt the duly elected process of getting the next president of the United States installed. And at the same time, and within the context of the same week, Jamal, we are entering an extremely dark period of time with the coronavirus, with more than 4,000 Americans dying every day from the virus. And unfortunately, uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So against that backdrop, Jamal, I think uh, we have a lot to talk about today. We have an inauguration that is uh, taking place next Wednesday where um, there will be twenty to 40,000 armed National Guard people in and around Washington, D.C. D.C. is on lockdown uh, leading up to that event. It's a pretty dark period of time in our history.
1: It sure is, Jess, and uh, you've mentioned it. If you look at the images of Washington, D.C., around Capitol, we have more National Guards and police and other security agencies than we had after the, in the aftermath of 9-11. It's a total war zone. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm sure a lot of our viewers have uh, by now watched all these images uh, right in the capital, National Guardsmen and Women, uh, you know, sleeping on the floor uh, because they have to be guarding uh, that area 24-7. So they're taking arrests. They don't even have, they haven't set up for them camps.
0: That's right. And,
1: and our reporter from Washington, D.C., Phil Pasquini, has been sending me images. It is horrific. Yeah. Uh, as you know, I lived in Washington, D.C. for almost four years. This is not the Washington, D.C. I knew. And actually, even when I went there, I recall my first trip to Washington, D.C., there was a time when you could drive your car on Pennsylvania Avenue. Just right right in front of the White House and take a photo. And then you got pushed back. And now, and and then you used to go to, you know, I used to go to all these different buildings uh, on the hill. uh, Just the normal metal detector as you go through the the front door. I can't imagine uh, what is it going to be like now uh, meeting with your representative there. You know, I mean, it's difficult as it is to make an appointment, but to go through all these different security checks so the one thing I wanted to say, because last week we spoke about the events. I mean, we were kind of like speaking as they were unfolding right. uh, on our last show.
2: Right.
1: And now we're finding out, because you were talking that this was a coup d'etat, and I said, well, I don't know if this is... But now we're finding out that this was unorganized. There were organizers. Was well, it didn't happen just casually, this was no, organized. Know. It was organized. The FBI, the FBI now is arresting people as we're speaking. Right. They're talking there now. There There are other images and videos coming out uh, people giving instructions where to meet, what congressman or congresswoman, uh, congresswoman's office to go to. They had the layout of the Capitol. There were, you know, as you know, there are offices that. You and I don't know uh, their unmarked offices. They knew exactly where these uh, senators and congressmen were going to be at. And they had a plan. They had a plan to take over the building. And when you have a plan to take over the seat of the government, that's a coup d'etat. You're
0: absolutely right. That's right, Jamal. It was a coup d'etat. And what makes it even worse, everything you're saying is exactly right. But we're getting even more information now suggesting that... um, It's even worse than that, because just within the last 24 hours, there's a congresswoman, Mikey Schiffel, who basically is saying that she witnessed the week prior that some Republican congresspeople were giving reconnaissance uh, tours to people, um, even during the pandemic, the same people that were involved in the storming of the Capitol. So it looks like there were not only planned and organized and the flame was lit by Donald Trump but at the same time it looks like potentially i mean we still have to get the data the you know the information to confirm it that there may have been a handful of congress people men and women who were giving tours to these saboteurs to these seditionists to these uh, white supremacists giving them reconnaissance to be able to engage in this horrible act of sedition and a coup d'etat And it looks like there were also some Capitol Police, some of whom have been fired, some of whom have been put on uh, leave, who may have wittingly or unwittingly participated. Some of the Capitol Police took selfies. Some of them even opened up the gates to let them in. I think, Jamal, as time goes on, as we all deal with the trauma of having A coup d'etat attempt on on the U.S. uh, government, that this story is only going to get worse. It's only going to get darker. And things that you and I have been talking about for many years now about, you know, terrorism, you know, the biggest terrorist threat to this country, Jamal, is not coming from Al-Qaeda or ISIS. The biggest terrorist threat to the U.S. government is actually white supremacists within the country.
1: You're absolutely right. We're going to talk about this, but I want to add a couple of things. Uh, there was also a report from one, at least one congresswoman who recently discovered that the panic button right. that they put for them to alert the police was disconnected. So we'll find out more about this, how many of these officers were actually, I mean, infiltrated. The other thing, uh, just uh, uh, we were talking about the incitement. Of course, we were talking about the incitement of... Uh, done by Donald Trump, but then uh, you have a whole lineup of uh, members of Congress and the Senate and, right. and other politicians and uh, Trumpsters and me the media. So I wanted to play here, even though this is a clip uh, from the uh, satirical show, Daily The Daily Show, it's a compilation of all these agitators who were egging on the protesters, really, to go to the capital. Let's watch.
0: General George Washington's soldiers were freezing cold, fighting for independence against tyranny, domination, and control. It was their moment to stand up and fight for freedom. To many, January 6th is such a moment.
2: The battle for the White House is now a full-fledged struggle for the survival of this constitutional republic.
1: We, the people, are in control of the United States, and we will take
2: our rights back.
0: 74 million Americans are not going to shut up. This is
1: about taking a stand where you can take a stand. We need to fight back. We win because of our
2: ideas. We lose elections because they cheat us.
0: We're going to keep fighting until
1: every illegal vote is thrown out. They rigged the election in front of all of us and nobody did anything about it. Call your congressman and feel free. You can lightly threaten them. If you don't start supporting election integrity, I'm coming after you. Madison Cawthorn coming
2: after you. Everybody's coming after you. We're not timid folk where people understand when there's a challenge in front of us, we rise to the challenge. We fight, finish, keep.
0: It is time to stand and fight. The swamp isn't truly drained until we've nailed the hides of the alligators to the wall. We need to fight back. We need to strike at the heart of their power. We need to show that the next revolution is just getting started.
2: The ruling would be that you got to go to the streets and be as violent as Antifa and BLM.
1: Will we stand up for freedom, as Samuel Adams and his fellow patriots did? If we don't fight on January 6th on the floor of the Senate and the House,
0: that is the joint meeting of Congress, on these electors, we're done. It's time for everybody to stand up and be heard. President Trump won this election so everyone who's listening do not be quiet. We cannot allow this to happen before our very eyes. Liberty-loving patriots that will not We have to fight this out for the American people. This is our 1776 moment.
2: Get it right. They stole it. Uh, We need to take it back for the people. It's time
1: for conservatives to show that backbone.
0: Republicans, grow a backbone and fight. We
1: are in this fight to the bitter end. We are going to take our country back. We need to march on the Capitol today and we need to stand up for this country. We're fighting for the future of this country. We're going to keep fighting. I implore you to keep fighting, too.
2: Freedom isn't cheap. But you know what? Imagine this. Would you get to go back home once we conquer the hill?
0: Patriots here, ready to fight. Certainly have the back of the president. If you're gonna be the zero and not the hero, we're coming for you, and we're gonna have a good time doing it. Don't be suppressed. Don't be put in your corner. We will not go quietly into the night. We will defend liberty. Today is the day American patrons start taking down names and kicking ass. Let's have trial by combat.
2: They're not taking this White House. We're going to fight like hell, I'll tell you right now. We're going to the Capitol. You'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength. And we're going to have to fight much harder. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore.
0: That's uh, so disturbing, Jamal, I don't even know where to begin. And, and you know, as I continue to think about all this stuff, those agitators, um, you know, when you think about Senator Josh Hawley, for example, you know, raising his fist to the protesters, when you think about, uh, you know, um, Ted Cruz and Kevin McCarthy and uh, Boebert and some of these other Congress people, men and women, who are fomenting uh, a takeover of the their own government, how, how are we going to leave them out, out of the system of accountability? Yes, you know, the FBI has arrested hundreds of people so far, but there were thousands of people there. There were people, congresswomen and senators, congressmen and women and senators, who also participated. What are we to do with the leadership, which I include not just Donald Trump, but some of these people, that we just witnessed. Exactly,
1: and they're trying to walk back what they have been saying. I mean, you hear them now, they try to, every, uh, you know, whenever they get interviewed, the first thing they start their interview, we're against violence. You know, this was, we condemn the violence, blah, blah, blah. But then you have all these video clips of them, the way they were addressing people to march on the Capitol, to stop the, you know, the inauguration of uh, Joe Biden, to prevent the uh, confirmation of the count and so forth. It just like when they say uh, words hurt, and they, this is a true interpretation of really very, I would say toxic type of words that they were uh, spewing.
0: That's absolutely right, Jamal. It was toxic, it was inflammatory, And how ironic is it, Jamal, that you have the same people who were inciting violence and sedition now in the the second impeachment of Donald Trump. And we'll come to that in a second time, in a little bit, because he's been impeached now for a second time, the only president in U.S. history to be impeached twice. These are the same people who are calling for unity right now. The people who have been divisive, who have been striking a wedge between people, who have been calling for, you know, all this aggressive uh, political and legal attempts to kind of undermine communities of color and attacking people of color and, you know, uh, thwarting voters' rights are now saying, oh, we now want to unify the country. You shouldn't impeach Donald Trump. The hypocrisy and the doublespeak is is beyond comprehension at this point. What I would say to them, Jamal, yes, we want unity. But before unity, you need accountability. Exactly. We need accountability once we hold people accountable for illegal, treasonous, seditious acts, then we can begin the process of unity, Jamal. But I'm afraid that this is just so much more than just a couple of hundred Uh, People that the FBI has uh, has arrested right now. No, no, no.
1: We this country is put on high alert and we are not talking about Washington, D.C. There are plans to storm, uh, you know, the governor seats in multiple states.
0: Well, 50 states. Yeah. Frankly, well, you know. Yeah.
1: I mean I don't know if it's fifty states, but it maybe is. you have more information. Yeah. So this is a threat. There are people who have been plotting. I mean this is this is something that doesn't happen overnight. It means this has a plotters, conspirators working in on all these things, and let's let's call it spade a spade. This is white supremacy terrorism. This is what we're having in this country. And as you started by saying that this is actually you don't have to say it just The FBI says that this is the biggest threat in this country is the threat from white supremacists. We uh, we are no longer talking about Al-Qaeda, even though some now people have been comparing Donald Trump to bin Laden, not us, but some people have been making that connection. But think about, I mean, think about if you uh, have been one of those people on the no-fly list because your name is Muhammad in this country, living in this country in fear. Right. Right. And now you're thinking about, well, the people who are being added to the no-fly list are white supremacists. These are the ones. And all these years you have been, you know, scared unjustifiably because you have been profiled. And the true threat in this country are these white supremacists.
0: But unfortunately, Jamal, I still think the bulk of this country is in a lot of denial about this. Uh, I mean, I'm not even talking about the uh, Republican Party, who I believe the majority of whom are still in denial. You know, 80% of Republicans still believe that Donald Trump's speech and his behavior leading up to the coup d'etat was perfectly fine and legal. That's 80% of Republicans believe it still. We as a country... Uh, are still in deep denial about the imminent, and I mean that sincerely, imminent threat of danger from these white supremacists. And it is 50 uh, state capitals, Jamal. The FBI did put out a warning to the governors of all 50 states saying that there are active plans in all 50 states, you know, at various levels of development to storm the Capitol with with arms and i don't think this is really sinking in to the majority of our uh, of, of of the people of the united states we are in a very critical time period and to speak of delusion jamal people are still in this delusional state things are going to be better after january 20th it doesn't matter that donald trump is not on twitter it doesn't matter that he's not on facebook or youtube or whatever we are talking about a threat to this country from within That is going to go beyond January 20th. And so that's why the impeachment process, which he was impeached yesterday, and now it has to go to the Senate and will go under the Senate under the Biden administration. They have to take the steps to convict him so that he will never run for office again. And all of these things. Thousands. Well, there is
1: there is a big question mark. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned this because uh, you know, as you know, impeachment is a two part uh, process. A lot of people are confused about impeachment. You know, so the House introduces and passes the articles of impeachment, but it's the Senate uh, is where the person is being impeached faces trial that's and correct. the punishment, right? Right. But there, it's there's a confusion here because you know um, the Senate is not going to meet till after the 20th. It's not going to happen before the 20th. That's correct. And Donald Trump will be no longer a president. So there is a kind of a constitutional uh, question because what's the point of holding an impeachment trial for a former president? It's called I There is a precedent. Yeah. I, was looking the, I was looking at it. There is a precedent for impeachment former officials. Right. Uh, and it's called late impeachment. Right. And and uh, while the main penalty for a guilty verdict in an impeachment trial is removal from office, I mean that's usually the main senators could vote to bar Trump from holding office in the future, right? That's so, the whole
0: point. That's so, the whole point. So,
1: Jamal. He also could lose his six-figure pension. He could and, lose and eh? and post-presidential perks, airplanes. So he could, he could, yeah, yeah, everything. He could lose that. I don't know if he that still provide him with security uh, like secret service to him and his family but you know but the conviction requires 2 uh majority. So well, if you have I all the 100 senators you need at least 67 senators.
0: Well, you have to, two, to vote two senators, to, you to have convi- two Repu- two Republicans right now who are Uh, indicating that they would uh, uh, probably—that's Toomey and Sass, I believe. And in a rather surprising development this week, Jamal, um, Mitch McConnell, uh, the Grinch of the Senate, um, has announced that he hasn't decided if he will actively work against convicting Donald Trump. I mean, he's sending a signal to Donald Trump and the rest of the Republican senators that he is fed up, that, and that he's leaving open the option that senators can vote their conscience rather than being squeezed by McConnell, as they were last time, to vote against it. I think McConnell, because his life was in danger, I mean, people don't realize, Jamal... Everyone's life was in but, danger. But, Jamal, there was 60 seconds away from storming the Senate chamber and the House from taking hostages... There was a noose. They were plan. There were people with zip ties. They were planning on arresting, convicting, and possibly harming and killing elected officials. That's how close it was. They defaced the ultimate symbol of U.S. uh, democracy, the Capitol. And I think even Mitch McConnell, who is odious in so many ways and has done really big damage to the uh, judicial uh, arm. Of the uh, government by getting so many, you know, Supreme Court justices through that are, you know, extremely conservative and judges throughout the system, even Mitch McConnell, I think, is open to the idea of impeaching and convicting Donald Trump.
1: Well, I'm glad to see him uh, getting impeached for the second time. I don't know how uh, how I feel about um, dragging the country and the Senate because uh, into trying to convict him, because that could drag on for months, if not if not years, because the number one priority should be restoring order. I'd like to see the FBI, uh, Homeland Security, whatever, cracking down on all these agitators, cracking down on all these terrorists, making sure we can restore some uh, security uh, back to this country. And then we have to deal with, uh, like for Biden, he has to deal with... Uh, The budget, uh, the stimulus. He wants to increase the stimulus checks to two thousand dollars. So he has that has to go to the Senate, and the big elephant in the room is COVID. We are not out. So if you get them all, I don't want to tell you the truth. I wanna like I wanted to be on January 21st that I forget the names, kind of like from the name (laughs) of Donald Trump, the whole Trump. From family, I don't hap- want to hear about them. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just happy. Like January twenty-first is kind of like uh, one of those uh, movies. You wake up and your memory is erased about anything uh, with the name Trump on it.
0: But there's another movie uh, metaphor or analogy to use, Jamal, and that's Groundhog Day. And I just want to urge... Uh, that's what I. That's what I don't want to see. Well, I want to. Unfortunately, I believe that on the 21st, when we all wake up, Donald Trump will still be around. 75 million people who voted for Donald Trump will still be around. And you will still have thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of white supremacists who do not believe. And this is the issue, Jamal. We have millions of people who do not believe that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Are the legitimate president and vice president well, of the United that's, States that,
1: that's their prerogative that's fine. this is democracy Unless, uh, as long as they express uh, their dissatisfaction peacefully that's fine they don't have to they don't have to accept it they didn't have to vote for uh, Joe Biden uh, they don't have to vote at all they don't have to be as long as you eliminate the violent element and that's what I'm hoping that the FBI is yeah. going to do. I and guess then the I'm other not thing I'm the not other as optimistic. Thing, and the other thing is uh, we, we forget to mention that Donald Trump now cannot use Twitter. He cannot use Instagram. He cannot use YouTube. He cannot use Facebook. And this parlor, which I've never visited, this right wing, whatever, crazy platform. is shut down. It's shut down. So unless he wants to put his money, if, if he actually has the money, because he's going to be also there are, uh, gonna be legal lawsuits uh, on the civil level state level from New York and onward uh, because he was talking about oh he was to launch his own platform and other people I think it's all nonsense it, since since he's been now gonna be taken he's been basically haven't been hearing a lot from him the only uh, he recorded a you could see him a a written statement that he was reading of the teleprompter.
0: It looked like a hostage and, video, Jamal.
1: Yeah, and he, they, no, they, had like to use the, they
0: had to use the White House Twitter. He couldn't use his right. Twitter
1: account right, for people to see it. And, and you could see the difference. It, it did, uh, but in, it didn't look like he was
0: really believing what he was saying.
1: I don't care, but I'm just showing you that he had zero impact Right. Because he lost his access to the millions of followers on Twitter, Facebook, and and what have you, and and he just like exactly he looks like a he, he looked like a uh, puppet, like he's just like,
0: right.
1: you know, parroting or I should say like a parrot. He was parroting whatever his aides uh, had written for him because that wasn't the Donald Trump, the arrogant Donald Trump that we are
0: used to seeing. Right, and so. Just in terms of immediate impact on Donald Trump's financial status, Jamal, the the city and the state of New York have gone forward with terminating contracts with the Trump Organization. Trump hotel properties are facing you know financial collapse. The PGA has announced that they're withdrawing a tournament from Trump's Bedminster uh, golf course resort. So the wall and, and Deutsche Bank also announced that they're gonna refuse to do any business or loan him any more money. So the You finan- know what
1: this reminds me of, Jess? I just came to my mind. Have you watched the film Trading Places? Yeah. Okay, that was pretty funny. I think the worst thing that you can do to Donald Trump is rending, rendering him broke. I I don't wish him any ill, like whatever. He can go away, but the worst thing by by shutting down the Trump organization, by not going to patronize his hotels and buildings and what have you, by losing money to all these people who are going now to come out and sue him. You know, he right. still has uh, tens of uh, lawsuits hanging there. Right. And then we find out the true kind of uh, net worth because, you know, he always has exaggerated. He's not a stranger to filing uh, bankruptcy. He filed bankruptcy, and he managed, of course, to finagle his way back uh, on top. But I think this time he's going to get caught, and the worst punishment for him is let him live as a common American. You know, let him yeah. just be.
0: You know, and see let how him, he's going to let uh, him survive. Collect, let him collect unemployment benefits like the rest of us. I I I see your point, Jamal, about why you don't want to ever hear about Donald Trump ever again. But I think there's a there's a larger issue of accountability, because you know if, if you look at when when Black Lives Matter, when that protest movement went to Lafayette Park in front of the White House, it was met with tear gas batons, semi-automatic rifles. People were shut down, were beaten. Uh, were arrested. It was a very grotesque use of military power to, you know, to stamp out uh, a protest. We need accountability at the highest levels and not just the president, Jamal. What about Jared Kushner? What about Ivanka Trump? What about Rudy Giuliani? What about Ted Cruz? What about Josh <laughs> Hawley?
1: Rudy Giuliani, now Trump is saying, don't pay. That actually made my day you know that trump doesn't want to pay him right Uh, just would you have rudy giuliani represent you for a jaywalking ticket i
0: wouldn't i wouldn't have rudy giuliani represent me for anything jamal and i think that's where the accountability has to start we these giuliani incited uh treasonous seditious behavior also he I know in New York there's a, a complaint against him in the New York Bar Association. They're attempting to take away his legal license. I wish which, they would. Which they would. But there has to be a process. As I said at the beginning of the show, Jamal, if you want unity in this country, if you want us to come together as a as an entire nation, there has to be accountability. You can't let lawlessness and this kind of behavior go Without accountability, and the accountability has to come from the justice system.
1: That's we have few we have few minutes on this topic yeah. because we um, have an interview with it. Oh yeah, we'll make right. Uh, okay, so Donald Trump, let's say, he's out of the picture. You say he's not going to be totally out of the picture. He's not. The FBI rounds up all these the heads of uh, these terror cells. That's that's how I look at them. Right. We still have uh, seventy five billion people who voted for Donald Trump, and we still have a big white supremacist uh, movement that has been percolating in this country for many years that Donald Trump brought back to the surface. What are we going to do about this? I mean, again, the big threat is how are we going to bridge you know after uh, more than two hundred years since this country? was established that there are still people who view black and brown people as inferior.
0: You know, Jamal, I think that is without question the most important issue for this country to address. And I know that we've both been saying this for many years, but unless this country um, confronts in a very direct way the original sin that this country was founded on slavery and ethnic cleansing. Unless we confront that in a systemic and systematic way and come to terms with it, there can never be any healing or unity or accountability. So I'll just put that out there first. Second, um, when you think about what happened after 9-11 and the trillions and trillions of dollars, and I I mean that, Jamal, trillions and trillions of dollars were spent in an attempt to kind of stop what people referred to as radical Islamic terrorism. That's what they called it. Um, We need to invest trillions of dollars to confront, from a uh, justice judicial point of view, uh, this cancer of white supremacy and domestic terrorism. We need to take... And confront that and take the resources of this government and confront it in the same way that we did uh, after 9-11. It's a bigger problem. It's a more serious problem because it's linked to, you know, white supremacy is linked to guns and the Second Amendment. And surprise, surprise, Jamal, after the coup d'etat attempt on Wednesday, gun sales and ammunition sales went through the roof yet again. So... We, this is, we're in it for the long haul. I, I'm going to keep saying it for many years now. Accountability. If, Jamal, think about what if a brown or a black person did the same thing? Not only would they be in jail now, but they would be up for the death penalty uh, at this point. They would point. have
1: been shot at the steps. They, they might have Capitol even been shot on the Hill. steps. Exactly. They wouldn't have made it inside. I mean, this is the crazy thing about it. Well, on the good news, I've been watching all these uh, jokers, terrorists, whatever you want to call them, getting arrested uh, within the past couple of days, which is really good. This is, thank God, to uh, security cameras, and, and they were right. taking their own selfies and whatever. You know, the guy with the horn, he has been arrested. The uh, person who sat on Nancy Pelosi's uh, desk, he got arrested. The Camp the, Auschwitz uh, guy got arrested. Camp Auschwitz guy. He got you know so they're picking they're doing a good job of looking and then you, and then when I look at them how far they had driven or they flown you know coming all the way from Nevada coming all the way from Texas coming all the way from Florida I mean we are not talking about just people coming from Virginia who used right. to descend on the capital they're coming from all over the country right. and I'm so happy uh, and there were some funny things actually where people were. Prevented from boarding planes, they were on the, already on the no-fly list, nice, nice. and they were just having a fit. Nice. So there is a lot of things, uh, maybe uh, mainstream media doesn't show you, but you could go right. on the internet and look at all, actually, the quick, basically, uh, hand of justice, I would say, that is well, striking these people and, as and, it and sending a strong message.
0: As it should, Jamal. But here's the other th- here's the other side to that. When when all is said and done, the the another aspect to this tragedy are the number of police officers, active duty police officers that were involved. Sadly, in this. Some,
1: sadly some firemen or ex-firemen, firemen, also-
0: policemen, and former military people. So this cancer that we have failed to confront in our country about racism and white supremacy and domestic white terrorism. Uh I keep saying this it's so much worse than we've ever ever imagined and it's going to take the full force of government and the state and,
1: and education and education it starts it starts with the young I mean here we are uh after the civil war has ended it has the civil uh, well I'm just saying the civil it hasn't war ended. And the civil rights movement uh, in the, of the 60s, Martin Luther King, and etc. And we still are battling racism and white supremacy in this well, country.
0: Well, that's right, Jamal. And unfortunately, thanks to Andrew Johnson's hand after Abraham Lincoln, you know, was assassinated. And Andrew Johnson took over from vice president to president when he took out Union troops after, you know, there was an attempt at reconstruction and healing this country, it led to the undoing of all the great work that uh, Lincoln attempted to do to heal this country from the stain of uh, slavery and civil war. And we see that that stain, that, that horrific uh, event that killed so many people and did so much damage to this country, that wound hasn't even been close to being healed yet.
1: You're listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We're moving to our next uh, segment. Just, uh, uh, I had actually, uh, uh, you know, said the pleasure to watch a movie re- recently. It's called The Dead of Jaffa, and uh, and I spoke to the filmmaker um, Ram Levy, uh, who. Basically, this is his latest film. He has been making films since the 60s uh, wow. about this great film that talks about Palestinian uh, family, a Palestinian family with Israeli citizenship living in Jaffa and, and their challenges because they've had basically two young visitors from the West Bank. I don't want to give up the plot, but what I'm going to tell our listeners and viewers, is that this film is now being streamed for free on LinkTV.org. Let's watch the interview. Joining Arab Talk from Ramad Gan in Israel, director Ram Levy to discuss his latest film, The Dead of Jaffa. Welcome to Arab Talk, Ram. Thank you. Just pre- briefly to our audience, I uh, uh, just want to let our audience know a little bit about Ram Levy. He started his career in 1966 with the documentary, My Name is Ahmad, which shocked Israeli audience by putting a disposed Palestinian at the center of his narrative. His 1978 television film, Khirbet Khizeh, portrayed the expulsion of Palestinians by Israeli troops in 1948 and questioned the morality of Israel's actions. First, it was censored in Israel, Uh, then it became a major subject of of debate. Uh, Your latest film, uh, Ram, The Dead of Jaffa, also touches on these complicated subjects. So first, please tell us what the film is all about and what prompted you to, to make it.
2: Well, uh, what made me make the film uh, is something which made me make all my films, or most of my films. It has to do with a Jewish-Arab conflict, which is an endless subject, which is uh, part of our hidden or obvious or or open uh, subject of our life. And uh, I feel that uh, for the audience, Israeli audience, and uh, I need to show the human side of the Arabs. the Arabs, And it's therefore I'm doing these films. And uh, I hope uh, it gets to them.
1: Well, I watched the film. it's actually uh, gives a very good uh, picture and then actually gives a reality check. Even though it is, this is not a documentary, this is a a fictional story. It's, uh, tell us a little bit about it. I mean, I know it's like the main characters, three children from the West Bank were smuggled into Israel, arriving at the doorstep of George and Rita's house in in Jaffa. I mean, and, and then you take it from there. So so what's the message, the hidden message in that film?
2: There's no hidden message. The messages are open and it's mainly human. It's, talk, it's telling the stories of human people human being in the middle of the conflict. And uh, there are two sub- subjects. The, su- the main subject is, uh, as you could see, the subject of the three children from the West Bank coming to Jaffa trying to get, to get uh, refuge uh, after the mother died and the father uh, is in jail. And uh, the way they are treated of being uh, part of the household of uh, Rita and George George being a, a grocer in Jaffa, and Rita and George don't have children. So in a way, it's very dangerous for them to hide Palestinian. Uh, on the other hand, uh, for Rita, it's a very big joy uh, having children after they didn't have children before. This is a sub- this is the main plot. The other plot is a story of a director, a British director, who makes a film about his parents uh, in 1947. They both uh, uh, were uh, working in the British Army during uh, 1947 in the uh, British occupation of Palestine. And uh, this love story or this love story uh, is the other subject of the film. And also, both of the subjects in the other subject. Are
1: treated uh, in the film together. Yeah, it's 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 multiple subjects really interwoven uh, together. It makes a very beautiful story because part of it is, uh, you know, it's about these people becoming characters or actors in a film that is being made uh, in Jaffa. Now, I mean, this is a little bit different than your other films uh, were, w- which were really kind of shocking to the Israeli public, uh, you know, the the topics that you discussed uh, in your earlier films, Palestinian expulsion, uh, what the Palestinians called uh, the Nakba, injustice, occupation, were tabooed, you know, people weren't talking about it. Now, everybody's talking about it. Now, I, I, I read every day, I read Haaretz, I read Ma'arif, whatever, I try to get the news. Everybody's discussing this openly, yet... Things have gotten worse instead of things becoming better, even though everybody's aware of these things, they've gotten worse. Uh, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, (laughs) you've been working for decades to kind of portray or connect the societies basically through film and shed light on, on the reality, but it hasn't improved.
2: It hasn't improved, and I'm not sure if films can really improve the situation. I can try, but I, uh, we don't—we uh, are not really able to to change the situation. Although gradually, we hope we are doing something. People are listening to us more than they listened before. See, uh, Bibi, for his own interest, started talking to the Arab population as if they are human beings, which he didn't do before. Uh, gradually things are better understood by the Israeli-Jewish public uh, than they were understood before. Uh, It still is far away from what I would have liked it to be, but it's uh, uh, some step forward towards understanding the Arabs. And I believe that in the film you can see also um, the subject which is hidden usually in Israeli public, and this is the Nakba. Uh, the fact that Palestinians uh, uh, were either expelled or ran away, uh, or, but were part of the Palestine population, and the bigger part, and they are now refugees, most of them are refugees. And uh, I, this is a subject which was hidden, or still is trying, the, the Israeli establishment tries to, to shut it up, not to talk about it.
1: Well, it's even, I mean, more than this, Uh, just on Monday, uh, the largest Israeli human rights uh, organization, uh, Beth Salem, uh, um, you know, issued a statement basically saying Israel is now apartheid. I mean, uh, and I'm reading from their statement from the Beth Salem, they said Israel is not a democracy that has a Israel is not a democracy that has a temporary occupation attached to it. It is one regime from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea and we must look at the full picture and see it for what it is. Apartheid this is you're 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 familiar with Beth Salem, right? Yes. Yeah, sure. I mean I mean was was I mean because again I go back to your film is making that connections between Palestinians and Israelis and Palestinians from uh, the West Bank coming to Jaffa and wherever, and then you have this largest organization, human rights organization, and saying the, rea- the reality on the ground is, uh, is not what you really see in, you know, in the news. And we've now crossed the threshold. It's no longer about occupier and occupation, but it's more uh, an apartheid. Do you see it this way or you differ from that?
2: There are, there are points of apartheid, of course, in Israeli uh, behavior towards the Palestinians. Still, Israel is uh, some kind of a democracy, despite all that. It's, uh, and therefore, for instance, I can make the film. And such a film, and some of the other films which I made, uh, were made by Israeli public money, most of it. Although this film was uh, also financed by my family and friends. But uh, but mainly uh, the Israeli fabric uh, paid for it. The governmental money paid for it, which is, uh, I think, a very uh, big uh, step forward. Uh, not because I made the film, but because it says, it talks about the tendency to do things which were not done before.
1: How was its uh, reception in Israel? I know the film... Uh was first shown at the Jerusalem festival in, yes. uh, in, in 2019 and uh, how did the uh, Israeli uh, view it when you when you showed it
2: the Israeli public the Israeli critics were very hopeful, very very, very uh, happy about the film and they, were, they, they, they wrote uh, very nice critics about it many many of them. Uh, the public was split into two the the people who who uh, don't really understand the, the reason why i'm working on the subject so we making so many films of the subject uh, and they think we have our own problems to speak about to talk about and some people which were hugging me and uh, and they were very happy to to see the film and to understand what i'm talking about because they, are, they They understand it much more than they do, didn't understand before.
1: Did you have the opportunity to show it in the West Bank, in the, Ramallah, or uh, where you have a Palestinian audience?
2: Palestinians, Israeli Palestinians, did see the film before the coronavirus started. Uh, but uh, I I hope to show the film uh, in the West Bank. Uh, uh, after the coronavirus will leave us. Uh, well,
1: we hope that uh, people can watch the film because I just want to tell our audience right here in, uh, in, in San Francisco and in the United States, your film, the film is The Dead of Jaffa. It's now being streamed on Link TV. So if you go to our listeners and viewers, if you go to linktv.org and uh, you can actually watch it, uh, and I know in the United States, that's been streamed in the United States, I don't know if there are any restrictions for people to sh- watch it uh, from Israel on Link TV or from the West Bank, but they can actually now, because you have that streaming power and because everybody now is in lockdown, they can watch it at home, right?
2: Right, of course. And, uh, uh, I, I miss the, the situation of audience in the in cinema because uh, this is a different kind of uh, looking at films. When you see it with the, together with the audience, uh, who uh, sometimes, by the way, laughs, uh, because there are elements of, uh, of absurd in the film, which made made the audience at the beginning and the first showing in Jerusalem, before the, the virus came. I was amazed how people understand Subtext which exists underneath the text and laugh at the time, although the film is not a, rock, not a comedy, uh, but the, the result is very often a combination of uh, amazement, sorrow, and uh, and laugh.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, we all miss the big screen, and and anyway, I mean, nothing like uh going into a movie theater and, 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 and for you as a filmmaker, uh, seeing the audience and then, of course, uh, interacting with the audience. But this is uh, the life that we have now. Hopefully things will return to normal. Uh, I know you guys are doing much better uh, now with the vaccine uh, in uh, Israel, uh, doing a better job than the United States <laughs> because we're way behind, and then hopefully, in in few months, people can get out and see their family and enjoy film, and 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 laughter.
2: But there is a possibility to see the film at home now, which was yeah. uh, which is important to stress. That it's a it's a different kind of showing, but still it's a it's a film which may work, and you feel at home. You feel as if. The people on the screen are part of your family, which is uh, also good in a way.
1: Well, this is great. Uh, we've been speaking uh, about the, uh, you know, your film, The Dead of Jaffa. This is uh, director uh, Ram Levy, and you can watch the film on LinkTV.org. I want to thank you, uh, Ram, and hopefully we can talk uh, very
2: soon. Thank you very much, Omar.
0: Wow, that's that's a great interview Jamal with Ram Levy filmmaker for uh the and the title is the, the, dead, the Dead The Dead of Jaffa. The Dead of Jaffa. I mean um people even people who have been devoted uh, viewers and listeners of Arab Talk would would be surprised at the depth of Palestinian um connection <laughs> uh to to Jaffa still and some of the ongoing struggles at still ethnic cleansing, what remains of Palest- Palestinians in Palestine in Jaffa, which is is uh, one of the greatest Palestinian cities in historic Palestine.
1: That's right, Jess. And uh, I, again, I urge our uh, viewers to to watch it. It's free, and we're relegated to watching films at home. So this is add, <laughs> add that to your your watch list. So quickly, we have two minutes. Can uh, I just Jess. say
0: something in two minutes, really quick? Yes. True to form, the Israeli government in times of U.S. turmoil between election inauguration has launched the largest unprovoked attack on Syria in the last 48 hours. So when when America creates these power vacuums between, uh, you know, elections and inaugurations, the Israelis never miss an opportunity to commit war crimes, and they're doing it as we speak. I, it's a story that has not gotten any attention in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, unfortunate,
1: unfortunately, this past two shows, we uh, were unable to focus on these stories because of what's happening in this country. And again, we haven't talked about what's happening with COVID, yes. People, right. uh, I think the last latest numbers now, but we have 10 people who received uh, the uh, dosage of the vaccine.
0: Is that the number? I, I don't think it's that high, Jamal. Very few people still are getting the vaccine. The vaccine distribution and inoculation uh, process is still woefully um, not working and not adequate at this time. In well, fact-
1: President-elect Biden, uh, Joe Biden said that he has an ambitious plan to vaccinate 100
0: million Americans in 100 days. Is this possible? I'm sorry to say this, Jamal, but it's not possible. Given the infrastructure that we have right now, it's not possible. The only way if it's possible is that if he calls out the National Guard to all 50 states, we have 24-7 mega vaccine centers in every major metropolitan city and in the rural areas. And that my plan is have all major pharmacies, CVS, Walgreens, give out vaccines for free, and then get the National Guard to have these mega centers that operate 24-7. Even under that fantastical plan that I'm recommending, it's unlikely that we can vaccinate a million people a day in the first hundred days it's a great goal i just don't see it happening more likely scenario is that you and i will get our vaccines probably mid you know probably not till may or june if we're lucky so um it's it's, the message is stay safe
1: wear your mask well, stay safe Practice and wear your... social distancing. Don't kind of like...
0: Yeah, but Jamal, even if you get let the your vac- guards down. But even if you get the vaccine, you still got to socially distance. You still got to wear your mask. You still can't party and be crazy.
1: Uh, you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com to download the latest episodes. And next time we'll be speaking, Jess, will be... After the inauguration, this is when we will have Joe Biden as the new president of the okay. United
0: States. Okay, We'll see you. we'll see you all then. See you then.